0: good that'd be good am i on today just want to make sure i'm on all right i hope he's yours today if he's not uh he can be before you leave today man well again 22 years it seems like a long time it sounds like a long time i was telling some of the singles in my uh singles class today that man that's longer than some of them have been even alive that just seems almost unreal doesn't it and uh all of us remember uh you know probably uh turning 18, turning 21, if you've gotten there already, but you remember those days. You know. You remember that 18th birthday because that was a big deal, or maybe your 16th, and then you remember your 18th. You remember your 21st, and there's all these different uh, uh, things that we remember about those years. But, um, boy, 22 years in the ministry, some of these young people haven't even gotten that far in life, you know? <clears throat> and uh, like I told them, it goes so fast, doesn't it? It goes so fast. 20 years is like that. And uh, it sounds like a long time, but it's really not nearly as long as you think. And that's why it's important uh, that uh, as a believer in Christ, as a young man, young lady, that you you serve the Lord. You don't forget your Creator in the days of your youth, you know, you remember Him. Because it won't be long, you won't be a youth anymore. And uh, you'll be in that age where you're opening a newspaper and you're reading an obituary and you're finding out your friends and others that you know and grew up with are dying. And they're going either to heaven or hell. And uh, it's not long, I'm telling you, it just comes up so fast, and so be faithful in that area. But 22 years, and uh, boy, I tell you what, a lot of memories. Tonight I'm going to talk about some things tonight, I'm primarily going to spend some time talking tonight about um, before the church started, kind of like what brought, you know, kind of the the mindset as we went into it. And just uh, reading from my journals, uh, and uh, just some of those uh, memoirs, and, and just some of the thoughts, and give you an opportunity to kind of get a feel for not just what happened in our church over 22 years but some of the mindset maybe of your pastor is going into it uh and, and just some of his concerns his fears and even his faith and so we'll, we'll look at that tonight a little bit and uh see what we can learn from that and be encouraged by it again tonight plan on being a part of it and uh we'll also be uh having a, a, a time after the service of food and fellowship and uh, give you a chance just to spend some time together. And uh, again, you don't have to stay long, but if you could stick around a few minutes, that'd be great. If not, and you have to get home, so be it. But uh, we'd love to have you to back tonight at 6 o'clock for our service. And we'll spend a little more time focusing on our anniversary. Well, let's take our Bible, turn over to the book of Second Peter. We're still in our study. <clears throat> Add to your faith. Second Peter chapter 1, Second Peter chapter 1. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not one of those people that goes around talking about, well, the good old days. You know, the good old days. Well, there were some good old days. There's some good new days too, amen? <clears throat> I like that. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I don't want to get caught living in the past. I really don't. I, 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 there's too much to look forward to in the work of God and the things of God. And whatever time the Lord gives me and whatever time he gives you, I trust we'll look forward and we'll allow God to do something. Um, <clears throat> boy, I'll tell you what, we've had some... Great things happen in our church through the years, but those mean nothing today. They mean nothing today without moving forward and doing something on behalf of God today. Our young people and our children aren't going to be impressed with what took place years ago. They have to see it firsthand. And so we with God's help, need to do some great things for God and on behalf of God. <clears throat> so the future is really what it's about, today and tomorrow, and uh, the past will focus on that a little bit tonight. And then we're going to plan on moving right on into the future, amen? And right on into the present. All right, let's go ahead and uh, read here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Again, in Second Peter, the apostle Peter is writing to the believers and these particular believers have endured and experienced tremendous poverty and persecution. The folks were acquainted with grief. They understood what injustice was. They had a, a, a maniac ruler that was simply pouring down upon them his wrath. Nero was not one to be trifled with, and he hated Christianity, and as a result, he was hurting and harming the believer. They understood what it meant to be maligned and mistreated. But through all of it, they had successfully navigated the Christian life. They had overcome the many obstacles that Satan the lion had placed in front of them. But in 2 Peter, it would not be the conflict without that Peter was concerned about, but instead the corruption within. It would not be the lion, but the liar that would ultimately... Be the greatest concern of this particular apostle when dealing with these people in 2 Peter Peter knew all too well that the church could not be destroyed by the fierce torments of the outside And from what the world could do No, he did understand, however, that false teaching could bring it to its knees And there He began to instruct and encourage the believer Because he did not want to see them fall. He did not want to see them become barren and unfruitful. And in this particular passage in Peter, we see that he prescribes a a mathematical problem. (laughs) And he says, now, I'm going to tell you what you need to do in order to remain steadfast, to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And in every ministry, it's the same. But the strength of the ministry is found in the individual maturity of its members. There are always those that are being saved. There are always those that are being restored back into fellowship. There are those that are beginning a spiritual journey. But the strong churches, those that are strong, those that last, those that remain, those that can stand or the, the, the winds of change and the corruption that is in the world, those are the kind of churches that stand on the back, backs of faithful, committed, fruitful believers. And again, there's always those that are coming through the ranks that are in need of strengthening, but those that have gotten some strength need to be the ones to carry the ministry. If a ministry is comprised of solely babies, it's a very difficult ministry in which to thrive in. And so there has to be balance. And the Apostle Peter is concerned for the people of God. Man, they have started strong. They've remained strong. But his concern is that corruption within false teaching will ultimately cause them to fall. So again, he offers them this secret to success. And he says you need to add some things. Now... We've been talking about this for some time, and we broke this down, and that secret to success is we talked about it from four perspectives. We said the foundation is affirmed in verses 1 through 4. The framework is added, verses 5 through 7. Today, we want to touch on the fruit is assured. Now, first of all, let me have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to kind of go through this a little bit. I'm going to touch on that first point, the second point slightly, and then we're going to get into the last, okay, the one that we're going to talk about today. But let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and see if we can't start to draw this together, kind of make sense of it all. We have all of these virtues that we've added over the last weeks. Now, how do they come together? How do they look to the world? How do they respond in our lives? And so we're going to look a little bit uh, at that a little bit today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you We desperately need you. And, Lord, I'm praying that, Father, you'd be with me especially, Lord. I, I, I Honestly, I feel a little bit um, scatterbrained today. I I don't feel quite uh, um, the way I ought to feel. And so, Lord, right now I'm asking you, Father, to speak to my heart. And I'm asking you, Lord, to just uh, calm my my heart. I think, Father, just the the idea of it being 22 years and just a few things going on, Father, in my life and in the ministry and all these things together have caused just a little bit of an overload for me. I don't, I'm sure everybody in the room has felt that at some point in their life. But, Lord, right now, I know you're able to bring a calm to me, a clarity to my thought. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I'm asking you now to do just that. Thank you, Lord, already. Now, Father, I pray that you would just be with this service, fill me with your spirit, and give me the very words to say. May I be your mouthpiece today. Father, 22 years ago, literally to the day, Stood behind a makeshift pulpit. Proclaimed the word of God in a little senior center, a one-room place. And there, Father, it all began, at least for me in the ministry. Lord, I just ask your God that you would just bless now, Father, as 22 years later I stand in a pulpit before the same church and congregation. May you be glorified. for Father, that's what it's really all about. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, first of all, we noted the foundation is affirmed in verses 1 through 4. And again, the Apostle Peter made it abundantly clear that we've escaped the awful consequences of our sinful nature. He made it clear that our eternal destination was settled in heaven and that we have a reservation in heaven. I mean, he made it abundantly clear in those verses also that we no longer are bound by Satan, we're no longer bound to go to a place called hell. We're free indeed. Through the Lord Jesus Christ in His shed blood. He says, listen, I want you to know that you've been placed on a firm foundation. You have Jesus Christ as that foundation. You're no longer on sinking sand. You're on solid ground. Then he goes on in verses 5 through 7, as we've noted over the last weeks. The framework is added. He begins to add some things. And he says, now, yes, indeed, you are Sure of your salvation. That foundation is secure. You're not going to lose what God has given you. But you have to... If you're going to be neither unfruitful... If you're going to be neither unbarren or unfruitful... If you're never going to fall... You have to add some things to that faith. See, that's just the beginning place. That's where the race begins for you as a believer. At salvation. It doesn't end there. And so we began to add some things. And we said... To our faith, we need to add virtue. We talked about the pursuit of Christ-likeness and moral excellence in our life. That desire to truly be Christ-like and making that a priority in our life. Making it the priority of our life. And then we said to that, you need to add knowledge, he said. Knowledge of the person, the work, and, and the ways of our Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world can we possibly become like Christ if we don't know anything about Him? And then to the knowledge we're to add temperance. And we said temperance was nothing more than self-control or the ability to deny self and say no to oneself. Otherwise, if we fail to do so, we'll be ruled by our passions. We'll be ruled by our lusts. We'll no longer be any usefulness to God at all. So this is dealing with the inward victory, being able to conquer self and those natural desires But then also to temperance, we're to add patience, he tells us. Patience has to do with those exterior circumstances and situations in our life that put pressure on us. And basically that patience is the ability to remain faithful to God while enduring those circumstances, while facing all these trials and situations in our life. Why? How can we do that? Because we know that God will be faithful to his promises. We know that He has a purpose and a plan and that He's fulfilling His purpose and plan in our life every day. And so every time someone cuts us off and every time we end up getting stuck in traffic, we can honestly say to ourselves, this wasn't by chance or, or, or just uh, luck. No, this was literally by divine providence. God knew I'd be here. And I can truly trust God to work it out. Oh, I'm going to be in trouble because my boss is going to be mad at me. Oh, and this may happen or that may happen. Or maybe we'll learn to leave a little earlier. But the fact is, is that we go ahead and we, we say, Okay, God's in control. I know He's working His plan. I have faith in God. I trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will and is part of this. Now, we went on to talk about godliness then. We're to add to that patience godliness. And godliness, we, we noted that godliness is the New Testament equivalent to the, to the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. And therefore we divined it as a God-fearing lifestyle that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. We said that basically when we take this aspect of virtue and knowledge and we begin to add to it some things, temperance and patience and godliness, that, that all of a sudden now we've added those things. we become courageous. We now stand for right, stand for God, and we stand in opposition to evil. The godly man, the godly woman cannot allow sin to reign in their life. He can't allow, nor will he allow, sin to reign in his presence. He's going to stand up for God. He's going to stand for right and for truth. He's courageous. She's courageous, the godly person. Then to that godliness we're to add brotherly kindness. And we said that brotherly kindness points to a feeling of affection toward and a willingness to share with those who are members of the family. Those that we have something in common with. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Dealing with brotherly kindness. And then we finally ended. He ends with adding to brotherly kindness charity. And that we know is the word love. And we said that that charity is defined as God imitating, a God imitating mindset that scripturally and sacrificially advances the spiritual welfare of others. And what we were saying basically is this, that, that, that we are to love on purpose, with a purpose. Even as Christ's love was on a mission, a mission to redeem fallen man, a mission to restore them back into fellowship with God, every one of our words and every deed that we, that we do should be motivated by His love, not just for us, but our love for Him. The love of God in our life, it ought to be motivated, motivated by. And it should accomplish the same end. See, I don't just simply treat people with respect and be kind and loving to them because I just know they need it. I do it because they need Christ. I do because I know they're going to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. And so the love of God has to be exemplified in my life and living through me. And so every time I I take a pair of shoes to somebody, every time I buy some groceries for somebody, every time I do a good deed or a good turn for somebody, every time I show up to work on time, and every time I treat my wife with respect, and every time I train up and uh, discipline my children as necessary, I'm doing it all for one reason, because of God's love for me and my love for Him and my desire to see all of mankind saved. Even as Jesus Christ came to earth to do Amen. So everything we do has a purpose So we, as we noted here Are to love on purpose With a purpose I, My enemies, I have to love my enemies Why? That's not natural Why do I do that? Because I know ultimately they can't be saved any other way If I show them the same anger and the same the same fury that they show me, how in the world are they going to see the love of Christ? How are they ever going to know Him? That's why Jesus could hang on a cross, and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the very love that we are to show the world. And so we are to love on purpose, with a purpose. And as we look at all of these seven virtues, if you will, as they're being added one upon another, we realize that they... They're not independent things. They they work together as a whole. We read J.A. Bangle who stated, "Each Each step gives birth to and facilitates the next. Each subsequent quality balances and brings to perfection the one preceding it. So they're interdependent on each other. You can't continue to move forward in your Christian advancement or life if you skip one. You build upon them. Daryl Charles made the statement, each virtue, a fruit of the life of faith, facilitates the next. None is independent of the other. So all of the traits that we found here in this particular passage are, are, are definitely commanded elsewhere in Scripture, but in this particular passage, they form a chain in which every link is necessary. So there's not one of these traits that can be fully developed without the preceding one. And boy, as a believer, that puts the responsibility on us. If we truly never want to be barren nor unfruitful, if we don't want to fall, then we must add to our faith. But then we come to the fruit. In verse 8 and 9 we read, For if these things be in you. What things? He's talking about those seven characteristics, qualities, or virtues we've just been discussing over the last week's. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he continues this mathematical equation by stating the fact that you just have to keep adding them. You add and it, 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 it is going to ultimately equal something. If 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 just continues to go on, it never amounts to anything. Sooner or later, it stops and it says equals. Well, guess what? Now, what we're finding is that the apostle is going to end the equation now. He says, listen, yes, you're to add some things. You're to add to uh, to to um, your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge uh, temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness. You're to add... This charity. But then he says, now, there's a big equal sign. What does it equal? If we'll continue to add those things, if we'll build upon the other, one after the other, then it's going to equal something. And what it equals is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in the believer's life. We, we might boil it down to success in the world's words. We may say success. What we'd be talking about is the success that's spoken of back in Joshua when he says not just success, but he says, then thou shalt have good success. There's a difference between what the world defines as success and what God defines as success. But the reality is today is that he's saying, if you'll add these virtues, if you'll add these characteristics and qualities to your life, then it's going to equal something. And what it's going to equal is fruitfulness. And if you're bearing fruit, and if you're seeing God working in your life, then you're certainly not going to be barren or unfruitful because there's fruit. And you're not going to fall because you're seeing the benefit of the faith. How many people have been discouraged in their walk with Christ because they say, I'm doing everything the Bible says. I'm going to church and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying like the preacher said, but it's still not helping. I still find myself frustrated and I find myself afraid and I find myself concerned about the future. I can't rest and I can't get the sleep I need and I can't put my mind to rest ever. You know what the problem is? As we're going to find here in a moment, you may know the truth, but it's not in you. And it's not abounding in your life. Because see... When we truly add these to our life and they are in us and abound, they make us that we're neither barren nor unfruitful. Look, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5 real quick, would you please? Galatians 5 verse 22 have to go backwards a few pages there. You'll run right into it. Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says here in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. As we begin to add all of these virtues and so forth, we begin to experience the fullness of God in our life. That would mean we we, we experience the fullness of His Spirit in our life even. He begins to add even more of these qualities, and not more qualities, but more of each quality. And notice some of those qualities again as we, we look at them. These are what we receive from the Holy Spirit through Christ. And He says simply this, love, joy, peace. Those first three right there are something that every single person in this world longs for. Everybody wants love in their life or to be loved in their life. Everybody wants to experience joy in their life. Everybody wants peace in their life. I mean, when you sit down across the desk from people and they're coming because they need some encouragement or counseling and one of the most significant aspects of their life is confusion. And the Bible says God's not the author of confusion, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And the fact is today is that most of us are operating in this flesh, and as a result of that, we fail to exhibit and to experience the true peace of God in our life. I'm not saying that after a horrible phone call, That maybe you don't find your spirit upset. I'm not saying that you don't find yourself overwhelmed with circumstances in life. But if we can't go to God and find that place of rest and peace, then we haven't found Him yet. Because that's what there is in His presence. You and I both have been there a number of times in our life. Where although we claim Christ as our God, our Savior, our Lord although we claim that He is with us always and would never leave us nor forsake us, in our heart of hearts we'd have to admit that we can't find that peace and rest that we so desire. Well, it's there still. It's in His presence, though. And so often we find ourselves so focused on our hurts and our heartaches, our problems and our concerns that we can't even see Him any longer. So we're to add some things and if we will add the apostle says it's going to equal something It's going to equal fruitfulness Let me just take just a moment and show you this little picture. I've got I know it's kind of grainy, but We're going to kind of summarize now these these aspects that we've been looking at these seven virtues or characteristics They're going to produce some things in our life now you can see here that this pillar, and, and all pillars, they have a foundation, they have a center support, and they ultimately have what's called a capital, this piece on top. And, and so we're going to look at our, our Christian life now, and we, we're going to realize that as a believer, we ought to be like this pillar. And there's aspect of three aspects to this. We think about the virtue and the knowledge that we were to add to our faith. Because again, when we start uh, out in the Christian life, we have a firm foundation. We understand that in that respect. But in our Christian life, if we're going to truly be strong in our Christian life, we have to add to that salvation now. And so we have a foundation which is commitment. Every believer needs to be secure in commitment. And that commitment is found in that aspect of virtue. Virtue as we are making a commitment to Jesus Christ, a desire to be Christ-like, saying that, oh yes, I, I would love to have a, a lot of things in life. I'd like to enjoy the good things that the world has to offer as far as money and, and material things. But in my heart of hearts, the thing I long for the most, the thing I desire the greatest, is a walk in a relationship with Christ and to be just like Him. And then when we add that knowledge, I mean, the next thing obviously naturally is to add knowledge to that. I want, in order to know what that looks like, I have to get in the Word of God and I have to study the Scriptures and I have to build on what I already know. And so I spend time in the Word, not just minutes anymore a week, but maybe hours down the road. How much time do we spend watching television compared to how much time do we spend truly striving to be Christ-like, studying and reading and noting His Word? What is our greatest desire? Because, see, we need that foundation. If we're going to be strong believers in Christ, we need a level of commitment. That commitment is grounded in that arete, that that excellence of Christ-likeness. That arete is a, a, a Greek word, so if I threw you there, it's because I'm speaking in tongues. But I did interpret, so we're okay. Commitment. But then you'll notice also, it moves on here to this aspect of courage. Well, that courage is developed, obviously, as we add to our faith. As we add to this aspect of virtue and knowledge, we add temperance, self-control. As we add patience, overcoming the exterior circumstances and trials in our life. Knowing that God is faithful and knowing that God has a purpose, that He'll fulfill that purpose in our life. As godliness becomes an outworking of all of that and we have, a, we have a courage to stand against wrong and stand for right, we develop a courage in the Christian life. So when Satan attacks us, so when life gets overwhelming, we can say, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going for Jesus Christ. Amen. Then we see here ultimately at the top this compassion. That's where it ultimately is supposed to lead us. Who was more compassionate than any other man that ever walked the face of the earth? Jesus Christ himself. As, As righteous and as holy and as pure and as untainted by sin and flesh as he was, being perfect God, he still had compassion on each and every sinner that he met. He didn't look down his nose at anyone. He didn't, you know... Thumb his nose up. He did the right thing. He cared about people. He loved people. He had compassion on people. And we note that through our brotherly kindness that's listed here. We note that through this aspect of charity that we discussed. That even loving our enemies as Christ loved his enemies. The ability to really look at mankind and say, I have nothing in common with you at all, but I love you for Christ's sake. And I love you because I want to see you on his team. Glorifying Him, saved and in heaven one day, just like I am. Because that's why He came and that's why I'm here. Right, amen. Commitment, courage, compassion. But let me tell you, these things don't happen independent again. Notice, they create one column, one strong person, one person able to uphold the faith. Able to uphold the work and the, the, the practice of Jesus Christ. You first need that commitment. Then that courage will come forth from that element of commitment. And then ultimately compassion will spring forth. This right here pictures the Christian life that is complete. Complete because we are committed. Complete because we are now courageous complete because we now have the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ in our life. Why? Because we have added to our faith. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing to you, just like it is to me, I'm sure, how we call ourselves Christians. We say that we have a God that loves us unconditionally and that He loves us no matter what. And as soon as someone treats us a little bit ill, or as soon as someone looks at us a little cross-eyed, as soon as somebody is a little different than we are, We find ourselves angry, upset, disturbed by them. We don't understand them. We don't even try. Write them off. Why is that? How can that be? Because we have truly not added to our faith. Because, see, notice the passage again. Let's go back, if you will. To 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll close this down here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Notice what he says. He says, for if these things be in you. Have you ever um, told your child to do something and they did it, but they didn't really want to do it? You ever, you ever see how they respond? And how they act? They, they may do it, but could I say this? It's not in them. Could, could I, could I maybe say it that way? And and you know the honest truth is is that, often as believers we we understand this is what's expected of us as believers. We know that that to our faith we need to add a few things, and we say you know what I realize that I ought to have a desire for Christ, and so I'm going to try to muster that up. I'm going to try to make that happen, and I, and, and we say you know I got to be kind to my brother, and I've got to love the world, and. I'm going to try to love the world. And so I'm going to, okay, okay, I'm going to go soul winning because I'm supposed to love the world. I'm going to go. I'm going to serve in the church even though my schedule's packed like this. But if I don't, it'll show that I'm not spiritual. So, okay, I'll do it. Sing in the choir. I love singing, but do I really have to show up for practice at five o'clock? Come on. Some of us are busy. Hey, listen, what I'm saying is, is that it's, we know what we're to do, and we're even trying to accomplish it, but it's not in us sometimes. The Lord's telling us that it's not enough to just simply do. We've got to be. We're not as well-rounded sometimes as we'd like to believe ourselves to be. Just because we have some common sense, just because we maybe uh, get along with people, and just because we have some charisma, that doesn't make us godly, and that doesn't make us complete in God's eyes. Just doing a few things or doing what God tells you is not enough. God wants you to do it because it's in you. And then he goes on to say, not only in you here, he goes, but notice this. If you do, if these things be in you and abound and abound, you know, that word abound means, well, it means to have or possess in great quantity, to be in great plenty, to be very prevalent in our lives. I kind of get the idea that I shouldn't just love people when others are watching. I shouldn't just show brotherly kindness when someone's looking over my shoulder. I shouldn't just have integrity when I know I could get caught. I mean, it's in me, it's abounding, it's just overflowing in my life, and that's what these. Virtues ought to be doing in our life. It shouldn't just be that we recognize that they are needed. It shouldn't just be that we know that I'd be better with them. It's that we say, you know what? I am going to strive and I am going to thrive on the things of Christ. And I'm going to make every single one of those important. I'm going to start with having a love and a desire for Jesus Christ and to be like Him. That's what I'm going to strive for. That's my new desire in life. My new longing in life. That's the only one I want to be like and the only thing I want to do. More important than anything, that's it. If you haven't arrived there, brotherly kindness is a waste of your time, my friend. Loving the unlovable, you can put it on because that's exactly how you'll love them. You won't love them really the way Jesus loved because you haven't started at the foundation. You have to begin with the first And move to the next. When we put it all together though. If these things be in you. These things, plural. And abound. They shall make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Why or possibly what could be a reason why we're unfruitful? We're not being used of God to be a blessing in the lives of others. We're not truly seeing our Christian life grow. We're not recognizing any fruit by souls or, or training up and helping others to grow in their walk with God? How so come we're not seeing that in our life? God's not doing that with us. Could it be that somewhere along the line, we've stopped with these things? See, our commitment keeps us fellowshipping with Christ. Our courage keeps us faithful to stand and serve. And our compassion keeps us focused on others. You're struggling with keeping your focus on others instead of yourself? You're lacking compassion. Are you struggling with courage to be faithful and to stand and to serve the Lord? You're lacking courage. Are you struggling with your walk with the Lord? fellowshipping with Christ? Is that a constant battle for you? Then you lack the commitment you should have for Him. See how it all works together? It's, It's not as complicated as we'd like to believe it to be. But it's not as easy as we'd like it to be either. It takes effort and it takes work. It takes a desire in our heart to truly wholeheartedly commit to Him, to braveheartedly stand for Him, to tenderheartedly serve others. That's not always easy, is it? Not one person... Not one believer in the history of all mankind has been barren or unfruitful if they have added these things and they are in them and abounding. Not one. No one has, it's never failed yet. The key is we must continually add and ensure that it's not just an outward conformity but an inward one that it's not just what we do but it's who we are becoming and are how you doing with your christian life are you a pillar today I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of aspects of those qualities that I have to just constantly work on and work on and work on. starts with that commitment, though. And you'll find that courage will come if you'll truly invest in commitment. And once you start to experience some courage, you'll have the ability to say no to self. And when you want to lash out at someone, you won't. Instead, you'll have compassion like Christ did. Can you imagine that woman at the well? Can you imagine the one taken in adultery? Jesus didn't look down on them. Jesus didn't. His goal was not to hurt or harm them. No, his goal was to what? Re- redeem them and restore them. Why? Because he had compassion. Nobody was more powerful than Jesus, and nobody had more of a right To look down on someone that had sin in their life But he didn't Because he loved the sinner With all his heart Do you? Do I? I'll be honest with you I struggle sometimes Maybe you do too But the key is to become like this pillar Complete Firing on all cylinders My son has a car and it's not firing on all five cylinders Well eight cylinders something's wrong with at least one of them I took it down the road went to the hospital the other day and I didn't want him to drive all the way down where he has to go to work and all and so I took his car it kept stalling every time I stopped at the lights in the city of Akron and so I'm freaking out trying to start the car you know and I'm like oh man people are gonna be beeping soon and I always get worried about what people think like that I'm just like that It just wasn't running right. And then it starts, you start driving about 40, 45 miles an hour, it starts going. <laughs> now, I don't mind that, okay? I'm okay with that. I used to drive cars like that all the time. I don't like when they stop running, though. That's the thing that bothers me. So I kept throwing it into neutral, putting it in park if I was going to be there a long time, and kept hitting the gas, keep it running. But it wasn't firing on all cylinders. And you know what? Sometimes that's how we're running in our Christian lives. We're not firing on all cylinders. We're incomplete instead of complete. And that's why we lack the peace of God in our life. That's why we lack joy in our life. Maybe we need to make a new commitment to commitment. A fresh commitment to Jesus Christ. And begin to grow in the Lord. And to add these things. Because if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. And that's what we all want today, don't we? You wouldn't be here if you didn't want to be used of God. You didn't want the blessing of God in your life. Let's make sure we're committed. Let's make sure that we're striving for courageousness and ultimately demonstrating and revealing compassion as these all work together and build upon one another are you saved today do you know christ is your savior not every believer presents the right picture to you if you're lost today believers are just like you in one sense they can operate in their flesh And so sometimes we look at someone that calls themselves a Christian and say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. Why would I need what he or she has? I'm just as good as they are. And if that's the case to you today, I first of all apologize for their behavior. But number two, I say, please understand that that's not the Christianity or the life that you have to lead. You can get victory over your sin You can have victory in your life, and you can know the love of Christ, and you can thrive, as we talked about, in knowing Him. And you can truly enjoy the peace, the purpose, and the plan of God for your life. You can have that today. But you have to first come to Him, humbly saying, I'm a sinner I don't deserve the heaven that you created. I don't deserve any fellowship with you. But you love me enough to die for me on that cross. And if you love me that much, you would accept and receive me, I believe. You say that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm calling on you because I have no one else to turn to to forgive my sin and save my soul. Lord, only you can do that in my life. Only you can give me a reservation in heaven. And only you can give me peace, joy, and purpose in this life. I seek your face today. I cry out to you and beg you to come into my life. You may not say it exactly like that, but that ought to be your heart today. And if you have a heart and the Holy Spirit of God is convincing you of your sin and convicting you of your need of Christ, I encourage you when the music starts to play in just a moment when we have what we call an altar call, a time to respond to the word. Of God as it was presented That you'll simply step out of your seat And come right up here to me And I'll have someone in this place Take a Bible And show you a couple precious promises From the word of God That can help you to see That Jesus Christ Not only loves you But he wants to save you Forgive you And place you on his heavenly role Won't you let Christ do that for you It'll change your life If you'll let him He'll change your life Father, we come to you. We need you today, and Lord, we ask for your leadership and your love. Father, there's no way that we can...